Welcome to this APTA podcast. Hello and welcome. Thanks for joining us. I'm Troy Elliott. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that the so-called dog days of summer actually have a beginning and ending date? It's true. They're not just that time of year when things get really hot and sticky. It turns out it's like an astronomy thing. The dog days refer to a 20-day period of time when the star Sirius rises and falls at the same time as the sun. This year, from July 3rd to August 11th. The more you know, right? What you may have noticed is that the same period, the dog days of summer, is usually when the U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services releases the proposed Medicare physician fee schedule for the next calendar year. Coincidence? You decide, but I'll just say this. The ancient Greeks who came up with the whole thing associated the dog days with uh, lethargy. And for my money, nothing will make you feel more lethargic than trying to make your way through a, uh, you know, like a ponderous thousand page CMS rule. Yeah, so you connect the dots. But still, it's crucial that the physical therapy profession pays attention when the fee schedule comes out because the proposed schedule has a wide, deep reach, certainly around payment, but uh, also around the ways PTs and PTAs are expected to do their jobs. And of course, we're all familiar with how the Medicare fee schedule rule can influence the uh, ways that commercial payers operate as well. So in this podcast, we're going to talk about some of the big takeaways from what CMS is proposing for next year. Obviously, we can't cover everything in sufficient detail. So if you'd like to take an even deeper dive, I've got two suggestions. First, uh, check out the two-part series of articles we did on the proposed fee schedule available at APTA.org. Just search 2024 fee schedule in the search bar on our site and you should be able to find it. Second, to get an even more detailed look along with the explanation and context, be sure to sign up for our upcoming webinar on the fee schedule and that's coming up Thursday, August 24th at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You can learn more and register by clicking on the event card. It's about halfway down on our homepage. You'll find it. Okay, so let's get to it. With me today are two people who braved the proposed fee schedule and can help us understand what's happening. Kate Gilliard, APTA Director of Health Policy and Payment and Alice Bell, Senior Health Policy and Payment Specialist for APTA. Welcome to you both. Let's get started with something we knew was coming, which is the continued reduction of the conversion factor. And to be clear, just because we knew there was a high likelihood of this happening, it doesn't make the cuts any less disappointing. So remind us, Kate, about what those cuts are, why they're happening, and how extensive they might be this time around. Yeah, Troy, we knew the cuts were definitely going to happen, mostly for two reasons, both stemming from this E&M code policy that CMS has been implementing over the last few years. Um, But first, when Congress first stepped in to mitigate these cuts, one of the first things that they did was delayed an add-on code that physicians can use to 2024. So it's 2024, at least it is in the rule. And when this add-on code comes back, it puts some downward pressure on the conversion factor because it costs money to implement this. The sort of good news is that CMS recalculated how much it costs. So it's not as much pressure as we thought it would be. The other major factor influencing the conversion factor is the fact that last year when Congress intervened to uh, stave off the cuts, they gave two and a half percent bump to the conversion factor and went ahead and put a 1.25% bump down for 2024. So That's an increase to the conversion factor, but because it's less of an increase than we had last year, it's essentially a cut. So at the end of the day, 
if the proposed rule is implemented and Congress does nothing, then we're going to see about a 3.3% reduction in the conversion factor, which should be pretty much in line with what PTs are going to uh, feel in their bills. Of course, all of that depends on the mix of codes you bill and the amount of patients you see who are in Medicare. Right. Yeah. And you mentioned that the cuts were implemented to make up for the increases to the EM code payment rates. And I guess my question is, are, are we done now or can we expect more of this kind of correction in the future? I wish. Let's just assume that Congress does nothing this year and CMS moves forward as planned. In that case, we would still see another 1.25% cut next year. Because in, well, I should say in 2025, because in 2024, we're going to be benefiting from that 1.25% bump. So the soonest this circus could end is 2025. But as long as Congress keeps giving the fee schedule these little pots of funding that only last one year, we're going to continue with this cycle. So we know the cuts have had and continue to have a significant negative impact on providers and beneficiaries attempting to access care. And as a result, they tend to get the most attention and press. But it's also worth mentioning that this year's proposed fee schedule includes some positive provisions impacting PTs and PTAs. Could you walk us through some of those highlights? So, yes, Troy, we were really pleased with a, a few things that we see in the fee schedule. One was the um, acknowledgement of CMS to provide coverage for the new caregiver training codes without the patient present. The caregiver training codes were successfully navigated through the CPT and RUC process as a joint effort of APTA, AOTA, and ASHA. All three associations believe strongly that there's a unique group of patients and caregivers for whom this service is essential. It's important to note that standard practice is to perform caregiver training with the patient present, and documentation will need to support both the unique circumstances that result in the performance of caregiver training without the patient present and compliance with HIPAA regulations in terms of patient consent to have information shared with the caregiver. APTA, AOTA, and ASHA will be providing additional guidance on the use of these codes before the end of the year. One other highlight relates to advocacy efforts APTA has been engaged in for several years. APTA believes the practice expense of many CPT codes routinely billed by PTs and subject to MPPR was inappropriately reduced during the RUC valuation process to account for the fact that therapists bill multiple codes and units during a visit. Since the already flawed MPPR policy addresses this issue, it should, have, it should not have been part of the RUC consideration. CMS has directed the RUC to look at the calculations that were made for the practice expense for 19 codes. APTA and AOTA will be addressing this issue with the RUC in 2024. Yeah, and if I can just jump in and add a few more, uh, you know, positives from the rule, uh, we also saw CMS finally fix their fumble on telehealth. Um, for those that recall, at the end of the public health emergency in May, CMS surprised us by saying institutional billers could not continue to offer telehealth, despite the fact that Congress passed a law <laughs> extending telehealth to the end of 2024. So after some heavy pressure from APTA, they changed their minds and let telehealth stay till the end of this year. And now in the proposed rule, it looks like they've had some time to sit down and think about it. And they have clarified that yes, institutional billers can continue to provide telehealth until the end of 2024. 
And then the other huge policy shift that I'm personally really excited about concerns PTAs. So CMS proposes a couple of things outright. First, extending direct supervision through audiovisual communication, also known as virtual supervision, also known as telesupervision, um, but extending this flexibility to the end of 2024. It currently would expire at the end of this year, but extending it to 2024 makes a lot of sense because that's when like regular telehealth ends. So why not just keep everything in mind? Second, CMS is proposing to make PTA subject to general supervision when performing remote therapeutic monitoring, regardless of setting. So this would be a really specific allowance just for RTM codes. But in addition to that, um, those policies are properly proposed and are likely to be finalized in the final rule. But there's this other big element, a comment solicitation from CMS on whether or not they should just go ahead and make PTA supervision general in all settings. So it's not exactly a proposal, it's a request for comments on whether or not this would be safe, you know, if the state laws allow it, if there are any services that should be excluded, and finally, if it would change utilization. So even though it's a comment solicitation um, as opposed to a proposal, it's a really big deal because it means CMS is finally taking this issue seriously. Thanks. You know, of course, those those gains, those potential gains didn't just uh, arrive out of nowhere, just manifest themselves out of thin air. A lot of what we're seeing in the proposed uh, fee schedule is a direct result of APT advocacy and education, correct? Yeah. So I mentioned the pressure we put on CMS regarding telehealth. Um, we really were the driver of that change, um, along with AOTA and ASHA. But um, APTA even went so far as to have a meeting with Secretary Becerra's staff. Um, so kind of going over CMS's head to speak to their boss, really. Um, but we do what we got to do when we know we're in the right on an issue. And in addition to that, we had many, many meetings with CMS over this winter as they were drafting this rule. Um, we made a really concerted effort to be aggressive with it with them uh, over the winter. We submitted numerous requests for meetings and policy changes, and it paid off. Um, we had meetings with CMS on everything from the misvalued codes uh, that Alice mentioned, the caregiver training codes, telehealth, PTA supervision, and even some issues that didn't make it into the rule. But um, we definitely put a lot of pressure on them this winter. And Troy, if I could also add that securing a code through the CPT process and appropriate evaluation of that code through the RUC process is a time-consuming and demanding process. And APTA would like to also acknowledge the efforts of our CPT and RUC advisors and the significant role they play in this process. And I'd also like to take this opportunity to, to really strongly encourage individuals that if you are one of those providers who's randomly selected to complete a RUC survey, please do so accurately and completely. Um, those survey results ultimately drive the code valuation. So participation in that process is critical. Yeah, uh, completely. And there is some communication. So the practitioners know that they're being asked to participate, right? It's not, yeah. That, that is correct. Um, it's important to note, though, that we APTA doesn't really coordinate that. That effort is coordinated through the American Medical Association, and we have to comply with their process. So again, I, I just strongly encourage providers to recognize what an important role it plays when you participate in those surveys. Yep, yep. Uh, 
uh, we'll stick with you for a minute, Alice, uh, because digital health continues to be a focus in this proposed rule. And I wanted to touch on one specific area, which is remote, therape uh, remote therapeutic monitoring, where it seems like some kinks are still being worked out and some confusion has uh, arisen. So I'm just wondering if you could lead us through that part of the proposed fee schedule. Yeah, um, these challenges continue with the remote therapeutic monitoring codes, and I think we're just going to have to live with um, a, a certain level of flux and uncertainty around these for a little while. But one thing that we did note in the proposed rule is that um, CMS has a little bit of an inaccuracy there that we want to challenge. The remote therapeutic monitoring codes are actually kind of two subset families of codes. There's the remote therapeutic monitoring, which are 98975, 98976, 77, and 78. Those codes describe the setup and education in the use of de the device, and then billing for actually providing the device. And those codes are based on a 30-day window and the requirement that there be at least 16 days of monitoring. Then there are the remote therapeutic treatment and management codes. That's 98980 and 98981. Those codes are based on a calendar month and the amount of time spent in the procedure. Um, APTA has noted that CMS inaccurately represented that 16 days of monitoring was also required for the management codes, 98980 and 81. We'll be challenging that assertion um, in our comments as that is not part of the definition of those codes. Thanks, Alice. Uh, now let's turn to a part of the proposed fee schedule that PT should be paying an increasing amount of attention to, and that's the quality payment program. We we call it QPP, and of course within that the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System, or MIPS, as we all know. Uh, first, I'm going to turn it over to Kate because Kate, I want me to give you, uh, I want you to give me your elevator speech for what MIPS. Uh, QPP and MIPS and why PT should be paying attention. And we'll go ahead and say it could be a really tall building. Uh, so you've got some time on the elevator. So you ready? Get set, I'm ready. go. All right, get All right. set and go. Well, I mean, QPP is super simple, right? Everybody understands quality-based payment intuitively. Um, no, I'm kidding. But if you break it down to its most simple form, the quality payment program is really where CMS wants to try and pay for and reward value instead of volume. So um, keep in mind that there's kind of two main tracks that PTs mostly can participate through. So first, you mentioned it, MIPS, the Merit-Based Incentive Payment System. Uh, and that was previously the only option for PTs. And MIPS involves reporting measures in four distinct categories, cost, quality, improvement activities, and promoting interoperability. MVPs or MIPS value pathways are like the next level of MIPS. So each MVP is focused on a specific patient group, a condition, or like a clinician type. And if you elect to report on an MVP, you report on measures from a really uh, a much smaller set of measures, and all of those measures are somehow related to the MVP's focus. So for both MIPS and MVPs, if you do well, you qualify for a bonus payment two years later. But if you do poorly, you'll get a payment reduction. So your bottom line is at stake. Um, 
which is a pretty good reason to pay attention to these types of programs. But um, also keep in mind that these quality-based programs are continuing to increase throughout the healthcare landscape. So it's not just going to be Medicare. You're going to see these programs pop up with commercial payers and Medicaid programs all over the place. So um, pay attention now uh, so you'll be prepared later. Okay, so what's uh, CMS proposing that's new and relevant for PTs for 2024? So first for MIPS, I mentioned those four categories. Historically, PTs only reported on two of them, quality and improvement activities. And that's because first, there were no cost measures designed to capture a PT's work. And second, PTs were exempt from promoting interoperability. Well, 2024 is a milestone year because PTs will, for the first time, have a cost measure they can use, the low back pain cost measure. So if you meet the threshold for reporting this measure, you'll actually have a cost component in your MIPS score. But the nice thing about it is that cost measures are automatically calculated based on the claims you submit. So no extra administrative burden, which is not something I get to say a lot. So I'll say it again, no admin burden. Um, the other big shakeup for therapists is a little bit more burdensome, unfortunately. The fourth category of MIPS, promoting interoperability. Um, until now, uh, PTs have been exempted from this category, but now CMS is proposing to end the exemption, meaning you'll have to report this in 2024. So the burden here is really that in order to complete any PI measure, you have to have certified EHR technology or CERT, and CERT can be expensive. And also given the you know historical exemption that, you know, PTs have enjoyed, most PT-specific EHR programs are not certified, so they don't rise to the level of being surged. So the little silver lining is that in order to complete the PI portion of MIPS, um, you need CERT for 180 days. So that gives you until about the midpoint of 2024 to get your systems up. But I, I don't know if this is another silver lining, but there is another factor here, right, Kate, in that um, this this doesn't apply to all practices uh, depending on size. Is that right? That's true. So in addition to the fact that most PTs aren't obligated to participate in MIPS at all, um, even if you are obligated to participate in MIPS, if you are in a practice with 15 or fewer clinicians, you can qualify for the small practice exemption and would not have to have certified EHR, would not have to report the promoting interoperability measures. I see. Okay. Now, Alice, what about the MVPs? What's happening over there? Yeah, this is a, an exciting opportunity. As Kate mentioned, MVPs are the next level of MIPS, and 2024 will bring a new MVP or MIPS value pathway specific to individuals with musculoskeletal conditions to the quality payment program. APTA had submitted a proposal for a low back pain MVP to CMS, and CMS expanded this proposal into a broader MSK MVP. We see this as an excellent opportunity to highlight the important role physical therapists play in the management of patients with musculoskeletal conditions, both as entry point providers and as participants in ongoing care. This MVP is only possible because of the development and adoption of the low back pain cost measure Kate mentioned. 
APTA staff and members participated in the work group that developed the low back pain cost measure. And now this measure will be part of the MIPS program and the MSK MVP. Right. Well, I'm on a, just a quick follow-up because it does look like PTs and, and really a lot of other non-physician providers are beginning to make uh, inroads in MIPS. And I guess this question is similar to one I asked before in that, what do you see in the future? Do you look for, are these changes going to kind of be incremental year after year? Or do you think things are going to start moving faster now that PTs start reporting to every MIPS category and they have access to the MVPs? It's a very interesting question. I still think this these changes are going to be incremental over time. There's a lot involved in developing um, these MVPs in particular uh, and in, in the development and then the adoption of different cost measures and quality measures by CMS. I do, however, think that we are seeing a significant breakthrough in terms of a greater not, a greater awareness of the fact that we have to engage non-physician practitioners um, more deliberately and intentionally in these processes. And for example, we've seen much more meaningful cost measures um, as they apply to physical therapists um, being developed over the last few years. Um, we currently have a few members participating in work groups on cost measures around movement disorders and non-pressure ulcer wounds. Um, we recently had a member participating on, in a cost measure around rheumatoid arthritis. So there's a lot more focus on recognizing that it is a broader group of providers engaged in the care of these patients and that these different quality payment programs need to reflect the full complement of individuals that contribute to the care of these different populations. So it's I, I'd, I'd say my answer is a little bit of both. We'll continue to see some incremental growth because of all the resources that need to be put in play to develop these models. But at the same time, I think there's going to be more consistency in the development of these models, um, including non-physician practitioners. Yeah, gotcha. Now I'm gonna back out uh, in terms, and we'll look at the entire fee schedule, proposed fee schedule now. And I'd like to know where do you see advocacy opportunities for members and how can they participate? What What's APTA gonna be doing? And, and of course, when are deadlines for all this stuff? Yeah, Troy, so I honestly think this might be the most important year for regulatory advocacy that I've ever seen. Um, there are so many good policy proposals that need the public support in order to get them over the finish line. So I think the biggest one is PTA supervision. CMS is literally asking you to chime in. So it's it's never been more important to be on the record in support of a change of supervision for PTAs. But there are so many more issues that you can speak up on. The caregiver codes, telehealth, the burden associated with the quality payment program or the promoting interoperability component of MIPS. All of these are things you can raise your voice on. So. APTA, as always, will submit extensive comments on the rule and every issue in it, even some things we didn't even mention today. We'll also provide members a template letter that they can submit as well. But we really need folks to use their own voice and their own words in order to advocate. We know that CMS just doesn't think very much of template letters anymore. I'm not saying they're not um, effective, but they're not as effective as you using your own voice and your own words to tell your story. So like we did last year, 
Um, we do have an easy tool, um, a form that members can use. It walks you through how to write a high quality comment letter, tees you up for all the issues you need to talk about, and we will make that available for members well in advance of the September 11th comment deadline. Yeah, and it really is much, much easier than you might think to do those letters. I went in and messed around with it, and it's it really does walk you through it, does a good job of that. Before we wrap up, now let's talk about the bigger, bigger, bigger picture here, which is the fact that the proposed fee schedule you know, it contains some good news for physical therapy, but I think we can safely say that over the years, getting good news in this rule is is pretty rare. So the fact is often APTA and other organizations and, and actually Congress spend a lot of time trying to basically patch up what's proving to be a pretty clunky and, and flawed system. Uh, listeners who've been keeping up with APTA advocacy efforts know where the association stands on the issue of fee schedule reform, but can you fill us in on where things uh, are right now? Sure. So I have to hand it to the congressional team at APTA because they have a lot of irons in the fire right now. Uh, first of all, we're supporting the Strengthening Medicare for Patients and Providers Act, which would, for the first time, add an inflationary adjustment to the fee schedule, which would be huge. Like other payment systems have market basket updates or inflation updates, and the fee schedule is just stagnant. So this is an important first step to making sure that these year-over-year -year conversion factor reductions in the name of budget neutrality can end. But we also have other bills we're working on. The Empower Act would solve the PTA supervision problem. Even though CMS is considering it in this rule, getting Congress to pass a law would force their hand and probably bring about the change like a lot sooner than if CMS slow walked it. But we've also worked with AOTA and ASHA on some policy principles, which you can find on our website. And the principles are like a menu of changes we want to see implemented in the fee schedule. This includes MPPR, opt-out, plan of care certification changes, PTA supervision, and even quality payment program reform. And we're working on drafting legislation based on all of these issues. Finally, PTs aren't the only ones fed up. All types of providers are sick of the broken fee schedule, and there is a coalition of lobbyists representing the various um, provider types that is working on major fee schedule reform. And I'm happy to say that APTA is not only a member of that coalition, we're on the steering committee. So our policy principles will certainly be on the table at those meetings and hopefully included in any sort of major reform to the fee schedule, which we might hope to see in the future. Thanks so much, Alice and Kate, for your insights on this rule. And, you know, as I mentioned, be sure to sign up for the August 24th webinar, which will feature Kate, Alice, and really the entire APTA Health Policy and Payment Staff Supergroup. Think of them as kind of like the Avengers without all the spandex. And in the meantime, check out those articles I mentioned at the top of this podcast. Just search 2024 fee schedule and they should come up for you. As always, APTA will continue to keep you informed as we learn more and ramp up our advocacy. And while the fee schedule is a major factor in the regulatory landscape, there's a lot more going on, including on the commercial payer side. So if you want to stay on top of what's happening there, and, and really not just in the regulatory arena, but in practice, research, payment, uh, congressional advocacy, and even within APTA, don't forget to check out APTA Weekly. That's our regular recap of news and events delivered to your inbox every Wednesday, and it's all for free. So once again, thanks to Alice Bell and Kate Gilliard. I'm Troy Elliott, and thanks for listening.
You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.